Hi, my name is Pete Scazzara. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you today. And uh, today our theme is Practice Sabbath Delight. Practice Sabbath Delight. So uh, I'm doing a series of podcasts here on the Emotionally Healthy Leader. And again, it, that came out of, gosh, 26 years of uh, lead pastoring at New Life Fellowship and eight years of thought about what really constitutes a, a leader who we're going to call now emotionally healthy that leads from the inside out and thus bears fruit in their planning, decision-making, team building, transitions, exercise of power, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it flows out of a deep inner life. And so the first half of the book is really about uh, facing your shadow, which was the, the first one. We face our shadows. We lead out of our marriages, our singleness. We slow down for love and union. And here is, is the final key pillar out of which we build a solid inner life is before we go into the outer life, which called, until today is called Practice Sabbath Delight. And so as I began making notes on this, I realized that there was no way I was going to get this into one podcast. And so what I want to do here today is I want to give to you a, a sermon, a message that I gave a few years ago at the end of a series that we were doing on your work and your calling, a theology of work. And, and then I talked about Sabbath and how Sabbath interfaces with our active work life. And so, uh, and then what I want to do is after this foundational week on Sabbath, and I pray you would, you know, listen to this, even if you do Sabbath, that you would allow some of the, uh, oh, some of the teaching, the biblical material to deepen your understanding and enlarge perhaps your practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is so vast. I mean, it is a massive topic. And so then what I want to do next week in this podcast is build on this week and talk about the frequently asked questions, the issues that we face, everything from being bivocational uh, to the issues of, you know, frequently asked questions. How do I build a container? I've got a long list here uh, to build on uh, for next week around Sabbath. So let me invite you to uh, go to our website and download the free discussion guide that goes with the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. Uh, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash leader. Guide. That's emotionallyhealthy.org, our website. Then put slash EH leader guide. And it's a great tool to begin to talk through uh, each of these large uh, mega themes in the Emotionally Healthy Leader book. Okay, but for now, I want to invite you to relax, regardless of what you're doing right now, and enjoy this message on Sabbath. All right, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. So if you have an iPhone or whatever you need there, but Deuteronomy chapter 5. And our title of today's message is Sabbath, a God's Foundation for Our Work. Now, we're in a series on Sabbath, and uh, we're ending it talk, on, on work, I'm sorry, for the last couple of months. And now we're going to conclude uh, with Sabbath, the second part of this message. This past week... I picked up my first copy of Fast Company magazine. How many are familiar with that? And uh, it, was, it was a great magazine. I, I, I enjoyed it. So many wonderful articles. Uh, but by the time I finished one issue, I was exhausted because there was so much to change and so much going on. And it's the kind of culture we're living in. Now, the American Psychological Association, the APA, every year they do a, a major study across the United States to, to study stress and what's going on in our country. And it's interesting because every year the stats keep going up. And what they do is they look at people who are outside what they call diagnosable uh, mental disorders. 
which is actually 27% of our population. Things like anxiety, depression, addictions. And so they take the rest of the population and they study stress. And here's what they found. One is 47% of people are having trouble sleeping. 46% of people are angry and irritable. Hopefully none of you here in this room right now. 45% of us are fatigued. Another 40% of us lack motivation and energy. And then finally, 33% of us, uh, 37% of us are feeling depressed and sad. And then finally, 33% of us have headaches and want to cry and have gastric problems. In fact, what repeatedly people said was that I have too much stress to manage my stress. I have too much stress to manage my stress. That really is the case for many of us, even in this room. And in fact, if you go deeper into the study, 45% of teenagers report excessive worrying. In fact, it went up just 13%, they said, in the past year. And of our children, 40% of, 45% of our kids are having trouble sleeping. They're under so much stress. And the study found out most of the parents were unaware of that. That was another fascinating issue. But anyway, I, I like what Archibald Hart says. He says, our, our culture is so hectic and fast-paced right now, he says, it's like we're trapped on a runaway train and we don't even know where the brakes are. And the engines of our bodies are at full throttle, going 100 miles an hour. And so, as you know, you've probably heard the term adrenaline addiction, which they say is the newest addiction. They say it's a lot like crack cocaine. And that our bodies are, and our brains have been you know, rewired now because of all the stress. And it goes like this at work. Workers with adrenaline addiction are the ones who are always pecking away at their phones during meetings. They talk on their cell phones every time there's a five-minute break in a meeting, and they're checking their emails late into the night. They go from meeting to meeting with no time for any thought or reflection. They're always overwhelmed. These adrenaline junkies seem to have a constant need for urgency, even panic. Like an alcoholic after a night of binge drinking, an adrenaline addict will sit at home at night and wonder, how did my life become so chaotic? and they will vow to get control the next day. And then that next day begins, and their addiction kicks in all over again. And so with social media, and now the ability to work at home like never before, uh, the level of stress in people's lives has really taken a large leap forward. And so here we are in the middle of this series, because into this world, God speaks to us. And he speaks to us about how we live, how we work. And so we've been in this series about we do work differently here in the kingdom of God. And uh, we've been talking about in this great series things like God's created you to work. He creates human beings to work. He's a worker. Work is intrinsically good. And that we, our work actually lasts for all eternity. And we're called, whether paid or unpaid work, to enter the workforce and create, shape, build community. And every person who's a Christian in this room today you are called, and you were called the minute you became a Christian to full-time ministry in your workplace. That's why you'll see every video, every week, is, that's been the emphasis. Now, we're ending this series, as we're nearing the end, talking about Sabbath. Because work goes hand-in-hand hand with Sabbath. One does not take precedence over the other. Both are important. And Sabbath, however, it protects work. In fact, Sabbath protects us. It, it grounds us. And so you're all familiar that there's ten commandments. And uh, the longest commandment is the fourth. Now you'll notice it's got, you know, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before you, and don't make yourself an idol, don't misuse the name of your Lord your God. And then it goes on about not murder and honoring your parents and don't commit adultery and don't covet. But the fourth commandment actually takes up, if you, 
a thir- over a third of the Ten Commandments. And every uh, Orthodox Jew, because Sabbath keeping goes back 3,500 years, will tell you, you can't keep the other nine commandments unless you do the fourth about Sabbath. It's that critically important. And um, it expects, Karl Barth says, the Sabbath commandment actually explains the other nine commandments. And again, so what I want to do is today is we're going to focus on that fourth one. And we're going to read Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. And what I want to do today is I want to unpack this for us. I want to do a bit of a review. Uh, and then I want to unpack why is it this is so incredibly difficult for us to do in, in our culture. As I've been reflecting, about it, reflecting on it over the years. So um, let's read it beginning here at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. You know, thus says the Lord. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, this Sabbath uh, commandment is as countercultural, prophetic, and radical as it was when it was spoken 3,500 years ago. And so I've been on my own journey deepening my learning, and I, I want to take a fresh look at it today with all of us. And I want you to notice something that, that what makes Sabbath different than a day off, it's not a day off, it's got distinct qualities to it. And you'll notice it says, uh, observe the Sabbath day by, first by keeping it holy. And, and this word holy means set apart. That for this 24-hour period uh, on a, in a week, that this time is distinct. It, it's different than the other six days. It's actually, the word there, it's sacred. It's holy. Uh, Abraham Heschel, the great Hasidic scholar, says it's a sanctuary in time. And that's why uh, all through history for the Jews, they will argue, they'll tell you, and it's said in the scripture, that it's actually a sign of what makes God's people different than the rest of the world, is they actually treat this 24-hour period different than the rest of the week. It's one of the signs of the fact that we're in a relationship with the living God, and it marks us out from, from the world. Now, there's two extremes with Sabbath. So you'll notice, it's, we keep it holy, and it's a Sabbath to the Lord our God. It's not simply a day off. It's to the Lord, and we'll talk about that later. So here's the two extremes with Sabbath keeping. One is the extreme I'm going to call legalism. And legalism means that if you don't do this, you're going to be punished, and you're probably going to go to hell as well. And it's just like, again, there's ten commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder. Uh, In the same way, some folks would say that if you don't do Sabbath, it's like you've murdered somebody. And so thus, if you look at history, you see all those things like blue laws, and don't do that, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And it's, it's it's a bondage, okay? That's one extreme. The other extreme is... People treat Sabbath like it's irrelevant. doesn't matter. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He's fulfilled it all. And so, yes, the other nine commandments are important, but this one doesn't really matter. Don't worry about it. That's actually what I was taught uh, in seminary. And uh, that's the other extreme. What we teach at New Life Fellowship is that Sabbath-keeping is a spiritual formation discipline. 
You're not saved by Sabbath keeping. You don't get brownie points by doing Sabbath. Uh, You're not saved by praying. You're saved by Jesus and Jesus alone. And his righteousness who died and rose again for you. He alone is our salvation. But if we're going to grow in Christ, there's certain things that we better be engaged in as followers of Jesus. If you don't read your Bible, you're probably not growing. If you're not praying, you're probably not growing. If you're not coming together to worship like this on a consistent basis, you're probably not growing. They're essential spiritual formation disciplines. In the same way, Sabbath keeping is an essential spiritual formation discipline. And that if it's not in your life, it's probably saying a lot about this pace of your life, the centeredness of God, and the way that you do your work, and everything else. So it's essential. And so Jesus, what he did when Jesus came, if you'll notice, he was always arguing with the Pharisees and the religious leaders about Sabbath. He was always healing on the Sabbath and doing things. They were always upset with him. And he purposely healed on the Sabbath. He could have healed on Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday. He kept healing on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees want to kill him. But what he does is he restores the Sabbath to its original purpose. And he says this in Mark 2.27. He goes, the Sabbath was made for people. You were not made. People were not made for the Sabbath. In other words, Sabbath is a gift to receive, given to you by God. You don't have to keep it, but it's a gift It's a gift. He says, receive it. It's meant to have certain qualities to it. And so we've talked about new life. We we, we focus on the four qualities of a biblical Sabbath. It has these four things. One, we stop, we rest, we delight, and we contemplate God for a 24-hour period each week. And so if you've been in new life a while, you remember that new life, we encourage people to take a 24-hour period, for most of you, either from Saturday night, uh, 6 o'clock, to Sunday night at 6 o'clock, or maybe all day Sunday, but you take a 24-hour period on a weekly basis that you stop, rest, delight, and contemplate God. And that we kind of actually do it as a community, and it's one of the distinctions of who we are. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to unpack it a little bit for us here, and then I want to get to the underlying reasons towards the end of the sermon of why it's so challenging to keep it. So it starts with this. Stop. On Sabbath, we stop our work, and... and uh, it paid and unpaid work. There's lots of unpaid work that we have to do in life. And, um, and so what's interesting is, is we're called to let go of our work in a rhythm for this 24-hour period. And so you'll notice it says, on it you shall not do any work. And then it starts giving all these people, neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servant. Then it goes into our pets, you know, the donkey, the goldfish, the cat. I, I feel bad about my cat, how much work I made him do on Sabbath, you know, and... <laughs> If you've got a turtle and a hermit crab, they get Sabbath as well, you know. And, 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 uh, and so in, in Scripture it says, even in plowing and harvest season, you are to basically engage in Sabbath. Could you, and I'm not a farmer, and I, I never farm, but I'm imagining what it must have been like for them to hear this command if you're a farmer. And it's plowing season or, or harvest season, and the Lord's saying, even then, I want you to put this boundary around your work, and I want you to Sabbath to me and stop. And so for me, uh, it's things like, because I work at New Life Fellowship Church, I also do some writing and speaking externally, and so for me, anything to do with emotionally healthy spirituality and New Life Fellowship, I, I, I turn it off on, on Friday, 6 o'clock to Saturday, 6 o'clock, and, um, and so I don't, look at my, I, try, I don't look at my work emails, answer phone calls related to New Life Fellowship, because my office is at home, so I've got I've to monitor that. So for students, it means that you're not studying for 20 Jose, he got it. I mean, Jose got it in the video. <laughs> And hopefully his mom's getting it too. And so on Sabbath I stop and I let go of all of my fears that I'm falling behind in my career. I'm going to be broke. Everything's going to be a disaster. Because we can stop because we know that God's on the throne. 
He's ruling, he's reigning, he's got the world just fine in his hands, and when you die, as you'll find out, the world will go on just fine without you. That's why it hits the core of our spirituality. So we stop on Sabbath, our work. Secondly, we rest. And uh, this word rest is, is, is tremendous. I, I, you rest from your work, and, and you do things that bring you rest, things like not hurrying, maybe not multitasking, not making big decisions. For me, when I think of Sabbath, I'm a big nap taker. I just love the idea of taking a nap. That, to me, is just Sabbath, because it's a complete waste of time. I mean, yes, it's phenomenal, you know? And, you know, he, he, he makes everybody rest in this scripture in, in Deuteronomy 5. Now, Rich mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and I, I want to re-mention it again, because I think it's so important. B&H, as many of you know, is that, uh, it's probably the largest electronic store in the United States. It's down near um, Penn Station on 9th, 10th Avenue, 34th Street, and uh, it's run by Hasidic Jews, mostly from Brooklyn, a few from the Bronx. And uh, they do hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Some would say over a billion dollars. They actually compete with Amazon.com with selling electronics online. That's how big it is. But they close at 1 o'clock on Fridays as they prepare for Sabbath. They, got, they need time to prepare for Sabbath, which they, for them starts at dusk. And they don't open all day Saturday. Now, on top of that, 52 Fridays and Saturdays, they're not working, a day and a half. They, don't, they have holidays another 22 days a year. And they close for two full one-week periods. And if you read some of the websites, people complaining, customers about it. What's so interesting is they're, they're second in the country of selling electronics online. So here's their website. I went online yesterday to check it out. Because Rich mentioned I tried to order something, right? I don't know. And it says on the website, please note, online ordering is unavailable until Saturday at 7.15 Eastern Standard Time in four hours and 27 minutes. I think they're getting a little bit legalistic about the minutes. But anyway, feel free to browse our site and add items to your card or wish list. But basically, we're not going to get to it until our Sabbath is over. And I love the article uh, that where they interviewed after Black, or before Black Friday their communications director and it's the busiest shopping day of the year, and they're stopping at 1 o'clock. And he simply replied, we respond to a higher authority. We're closing. We respond to a higher authority. Friends, that's what Sabbath is for us. We are responding to a higher authority. Even though the whole world may think it's ludicrous and crazy. And so we stop, and we actually rest. And what's really interesting about this text is, The rest is not simply for you, but Deuteronomy 5 calls us to give rest to other people. In other words, we don't just rest, but we give rest to others. And it says here, you know, on it you shall not do any work, rest, neither you, your son or main daughter. Then it says, or your ox or any of your animals or your your servants, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. So it's not just that you receive rest as you do, you actually offer it to other people. I want you to catch this. People ask me, well, well, you know, Sabbath. How can I serve in children's church and serve these kids? How can I be an usher, greeter, parking lot, teach youth downstairs, um, you know, hospitality, sing in the choir? I want you to catch this. Sabbath changes everything now. It's not just about your rest. It's about everybody's rest. And so Sabbath, in, in ancient times, the only people who were allowed to rest were free men. Sorry, women. You didn't get the rest. Nor slaves. In ancient times, God basically eliminated slavery. 
In fact, many theologians will say this was the first undercutting of slavery universally in the human race. Because on Sabbath, everybody's equal. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, doesn't matter. Everybody Sabbaths to the Lord our God. Everybody gets the rest. And he calls those of us with power to say, listen, don't just you receive this Sabbath rest. You actually use your power to give relief to those who are vulnerable that they might have rest as well. That's why volunteering within a certain sphere is such a healthy thing for us on, on Sabbaths. To serve and give rest to those around us as a gift to them. Love that nuance. It's a starting point to actually love your neighbor, Sabbath rest. All right, and thirdly, we delight. And um, I love that picture of this boy at Flushing Meadow Park. God delights in the first Sabbath. He's overjoyed at the creation he has made. God has given you a pleasure system. You have in your body and emotionally a pleasure system to actually enjoy life, to enjoy God, to enjoy the world. And there's a growing condition of, in psychology and among psychiatrists that's called anodonia. Anodonia is a condition where p- people, because of overstimulation, they are, they, it's an inability to gain pleasure from everyday enjoyable experiences. There's an increasing number of people in the culture that, are, that have anhedonia. They can't enjoy simple pleasures of life. So therefore, they've got to do bungee jumping, something crazy and addictive, something to juice the system to have enjoyment because they've lost it from all the overstimulation. But Sabbath is this, is this invitation to delight in the everyday pleasures of the world. I'm talking about it's an invitation to engage in nature, things like trees and beaches and parks and flowers and gardening. It's to enjoy and delight in the richness of of food and your palate and smells and tastes. It's art and music. It's it's playing with a child in a sandbox. It's about enjoying connecting with a human being person to person, face to face, not just saying, what do I need from this person to go move on? But as Archibald Hart likes to write, he's a a great uh, doctor studying neuroscience, he says, delighting in the everyday pleasures of life actually repairs and heals the overstimulation of our brains. God created us for it. That's why Hasidic, ancient Jews and, and the great Hasidic scholars, they would forbid fasting and mourning and grieving on Sabbath. Sabbath is a day for celebration. It's a day for joy. So if you're in grieving on Sabbath, skip it and celebrate because Sabbath is seen like a wedding day. It's like the bride is coming down. You're all smiling. You're having a celebration because Sabbath has arrived. One of the books I, I read large sections of in preparation for the sermon was a book written in 1972 by a German theologian named Moltmann, and it's called A Theology of Play. And he basically, the basic argument is that there's some words used in, in Genesis about how God plays over creation. He just enjoys creation for what it is. And how play is part of, of what God calls us to, that we, we, we play board games, we play sports, we, we, we do play because it's a taste of heaven. It's a taste of the age to come. It's not fulfilling any, quote, goal. It's simply delighting with people in play. And he argues that this is part of, of Sabbath. It's part of life, playing. I love that. I, I got a ways to go. I'm sure my wife is saying, I hope he's listening to his sermon, you know. <laughs> so I don't just stop. I rest. I delight. And then fourthly, I contemplate. And by contemplation, I'm not saying you sit home all day and you pray. Or you, go to, you go, or you go to all three services here at New Life, 9, 10, 30, and 12, 30. When we talk about contemplation, what we're saying is that on the Sabbath, 
you are, in a sense, more focused than normally of seeing the invisible God in the invisible, in the visible. You're focused on seeing the invisible God and all the visible beauty and wonder around you. You're seeing God in all things in a fresh way. And so on Sabbath, we taste eternity. You know, one of the great sayings of Abraham Heschel was that if you don't enjoy the taste of eternity on Sabbath, because on Sabbath, you're stopping all your work, you're resting from your work, you're delighting in life, and you're contemplating God, you're basically as if you're dead. You're tasting heaven. And he says, if you don't enjoy and relish the taste of eternal life on Sabbath, what makes you think you're going to enjoy it when you see him face to face? But every Sabbath, we taste heaven. We taste a, a glimpse of what it's going to be like when we see him face to face. But I like the idea, this notion of we taste our death on Sabbath. I've been teaching on Sabbath for years. And I've wondered, why does it, it take so many multiple times to hear it to actually get it? And in my case, it was 1996, I started, we heard, I started to actually play around with Sabbath. And, but it wasn't until 2003 that I actually I got it. And now I feel like for the last 10 years, it's been deepening and broadening to me. And so I teach this to, to leaders you know, in different parts of the world. And I said, how could it be that a pastor or a leader whose their life work is studying theology? I mean, that's, that's their life work. And they believe in Sabbath, but they still don't do it. How could that be? And I've seen it over and over again. Some of you say, yes, I agree. Yes, it's in the word of God. Yes. But you go on as if it's not there. And so that wonder has led me to some conclusions. Now, again, if you look at scripture in places like Jeremiah, Nehemiah, and Amos, you'll notice there's evidence there that Sabbath, the Sabbath invitation is a very difficult invitation to keep. And it's been going on since it was given 3,500 years ago. Why is it we do violence to ourselves by work, 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 go, 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 seven days a week we violate our own soul as if we were slaves? So I want you to catch this. Remember you were slaves in Egypt, it says. Why keep Sabbath? And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Sabbath, friends, is about freedom. You used to, they're about to go into the promised land. For they were slaves for over 400 years. I want you to try to imagine this. It's like us in this room, we're all slaves. And we've been slaves since the year 1613. Do you know how deep that would be in the fiber of your being? Our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our great-great-grandparents. It's our entire culture under Pharaoh. And so it's in our physiology. You've heard the phrase we use at New Life about when we do genograms. Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. Okay, Jesus may be in your heart, but slavery's in your bones. And not live as a free person. See, no stop, no rest, no delight, no contemplation. If you look at Exodus chapter 5, when they try to do Sabbath under Moses, Pharaoh said, no, you're lazy, get back to work, I'm going to double it. We don't have external voices telling us this, we have internal voices telling us this. Pharaoh's on the inside, that's why it's so difficult to stop. Why can't we stop for Sabbath? I know it has something to do with our fear of death. The terror of death. You know, it, it's been written about, you know, for decades, that the number one anxiety of human beings is terror of death. We repress it. We don't talk about death. We isolate ourselves from death. We, we push it over to funeral parlors. We do anything to ward off old age, as much plastic surgery as we can get. We work like crazy day after day, and we can't stop. Because it relates to this inside, where do we get our sense of self from? You know, who am I? You see, if all you do is work, you get your sense of self from your work and what you accomplish. And if you stop working, it's terrifying because you'll die. 
because you don't know who you are. We're called to find our sense of self out of a relationship with the living God in Jesus, not from our work. And then we go to, we go to work to work for God at work, not to find ourselves. Because ourselves we've already found in relationship to Jesus. A friend of mine is a PhD uh, therapist. And I asked him this question about, you know, why is it we're so frightened to death to stop for Sabbath? And to be quiet and still before God. He says, Pete, whether I'm dealing with international attorneys who have a global practice or a pastor of a large church, it's the same thing. They're both out of control and can't stop because the very act of stopping is going to force them to look inside of themselves. You see, this question of there's deep feelings of worthlessness and shame that is in every culture. Every one of us struggle with it. It was feeling like I'm never good enough. I've never done it. I, I'm never safe enough. So I got I to keep working and make sure I'm going to be safe enough. And again, you can be a mom at home taking care of kids, but you're working 24-7. Or I'm never perfect enough, and I've got to work harder. Or I'm never certain enough for the future, so I've got to make sure and keep control that everything's going to be okay in case God doesn't show up for me. And I'm never extraordinary enough. I really haven't accomplished much, and so I've got to keep moving here. And you can add to this list, you know, I'm never thin enough. I'm never smart enough. I'm never rich enough. I'm never promoted enough. I'm never successful enough. So God forbid you stop. It's terrifying. And so you hear the command about Sabbath, you're like, I, I couldn't dare to go down that road. It's so frightening. And if you, like myself, come from a, a background of, of, of deep shame or, or, or abuse, and you carry this inside of you, this I'm not enough, it's actually terrifying, this thought of stopping. And you say, where, you know people work 80, 90 hours a week. And they're almost like maniacs. I know, I, I was one. I'm a recovering maniac workaholic. And you say, where is that coming from? And what I'll tell you, friends, it's not simply coming from social media beckoning at every call. It's not simply the culture. It's coming, more, it's coming from the inside. There's a voice of Pharaoh internally scream at you, you better not stop or you'll die. And so we can hear a thousand sermons about Sabbath. But it's terrifying the thought of actually stopping and resting and delighting and contemplating God. There's this intensely painful feeling or an experience of being I'm flawed and I'm unworthy of connection with God, myself, other people. See, friends, Sabbath is an invitation to be seen by God. It's an invitation to be loved by God. You know what Sabbath is? It's emotional exposure to the love of God, experientially, not just in your head. Sabbath is about being vulnerable. That's what makes it so terrifying. Who wants to be vulnerable? I could die out there in exposure. You know, I, I think of Luke 15. You know the story in the prodigal son when, when the son's coming home and, and, and the father runs to him and kisses him and hugs him and says, kill the fatted calf and puts a robe on him and a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet and he goes, let's, let's have a feast and celebrate. And it's, I don't know about you, but for me, it's hard for me to receive gifts and compliments. I'd rather give them. And so for some of us, we come from backgrounds, we can't even receive God delighting in us and his love. We're like, no, 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 no. 
And, and so Sabbath is like, let God love me and stop and rest and delight and ah, enjoy God and taste eternity. We're like, ah, we work. I got to work. And we just can't stop. Busyness. I want you to, busyness is a defense. It's a wall that keeps us from God. It's deep. Because to actually stop it and get off that track touches something core in us. That's why Sabbath as a formation practice is such a deep one. Eugene Peterson writes this in one of his books. He says, to be a busy pastor, he's writing to people like me, it's really, he goes, to be called a busy pastor is like being called an adulterous pastor or an embezzling pastor. I know, I've got to rip that page out. I'm terrible. <laughs> he goes, it's an outrageous scandal because the issue of our busyness, friends, ultimately is a battle for your true self in Christ. It's not simply about reorganizing your time in your day planner. It's a battle against powers and principalities of hell itself that want to keep you in slavery and from the love of God, who's got a tremendous life for you. See, Sabbath is God's foundation for your work. Otherwise, work will sweep you away and your career, paid or unpaid. At New Life Fellowship, we want you to go to work in the name of God in a sense. I'm in full-time ministry, a deep sense of calling. You're creating and shaping. Yes, we want that. At the same time, we want you to go to work to do God's work, not to go to work to find out who you are. We want you to find out who you are in relation to the living God. That's where life is. And so Sabbath guards us from that primary idolatry of the first commandment of having other gods before us where we actually we find our value and meaning of life in our work and defining ourselves by that. Sabbath is an invite. You know what Sabbath invites you to say? Believe it that you're enough. And the result of that is you'll actually be kinder and gentler to yourself and to those people around you as well. You know, it's interesting. You're good enough. You're safe enough. You're worthy enough. And you're lovable enough to enjoy a Sabbath. To stop, rest, delight. The Lord says, let me love you. So, you know, it's like this. You know, you are good enough, says the Lord. You're good enough. Christ died for you and rose from the dead. When that prodigal son was coming back to the father in Luke 15, his repentance was half-hearted. Most of us on our journey, we're, our repentance is all mixed up. Is it good enough for God to really love me? Who knows? But here's the beauty. God says, you're good enough for me to wrap you in my arms, kiss you, put the robe on you, feast and celebrate over you, because my love for you is not based on your performance. It's based on Jesus, and I made you in my image. The Lord says, you're good enough. Stop, rest, and delight, and contemplate me. Take a break, will you? The Lord says, you're safe enough. Don't worry about the future. I got it in my hands. The Lord says in John 10, no one will snatch you out of my hands. I got you. You're perfect enough. Again, you stand in Christ's righteousness, not your own. Right where you are right now, you're perfect enough. God sees you on the journey, and he loves you. He's not going to love you any better when you get to the next step in your journey. He loves you right now where you are in Christ. And you're certain enough for the future. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I prepared a mansion for you in heaven. Relax. Take a Sabbath. And in fact, the Lord says, you're extraordinary enough. You're a work of art. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. God's created you for good works. The word therefore, you're a work of art. You're unrepeatable. There's nobody like you on earth. God's given you something to do. You are extraordinary. We don't have anybody like you on the 7 billion people on the planet right now. So you know what? Some of you, you lost your job recently. You feel like you're a failure. You don't understand. This has been the great gift of God coming your way. You might never think that your value and your worth and your identity is that. It's him. 
He came here, friends, Sabbath to set you free to not be a slave any longer. This is a great gift, God. Jesus says, Sabbath was made for you as a gift to receive it. This is not a gun to your head. Listen, many of us, this is how we're living. I, I took this picture outside of uh, Rockefeller Center a couple of weeks ago. I said, that's how I think so many of us feel. We're like, we got the world on our shoulders that we're carrying. We got so much weight, our kids, our family, our future. Our, I mean, it's just so much. Our, our, our IRA and retirement and health and parents. And, oh, my gosh. It's a, it never ends. This is not going to be easy for you or quick for you. I, I know. It, it takes, I, I believe, years of unfolding to grasp the depth of it. I don't know if we ever grasp the full depth of Sabbath in our lifetime until we see him face to face. It's that deep. So it wasn't easier quick for the Israelites when they heard this the first time in Deuteronomy chapter 5. They had hundreds of years of slavery. But they were now free. And God says, I don't want you just to be free you know, intellectually. I want you to be free internally. And live as a free man, a free woman in my promised land. God brought Israel out of Egypt with his outstretched arm. He pulled them out. God somehow has reached out to you and here you are. He put his hand on you and he pulled you out of slavery. And he brought you to himself. He said, listen, I want you to live free. I came that you might have a great life. I made you for a rhythm, a boundary around work. You work and you Sabbath. You Sabbath and you work. You boundary, limit, freely live life for me. So with that, I want to invite the worship team forward. We need this truth about Sabbath. We also need truth about work. We also need each other as a community. So we talk a lot at New Life about deserts. Now, let me explain desert. We talk a lot about, um, it comes out of the desert fathers in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries who, when the world had be- the church had become so worldly, these men and women fled to the desert to meet with God. And so I'm using the word desert or the image of a desert as a place that we create in our lives, in the midst of all of our activity, to be alone with God. Okay? Sabbath is an example of a desert. A prayer, spending some time in scripture is a place of a desert. Coming apart like you're doing this morning for worship is a desert experience. In a sense of you're meeting with God before you go out back into the activity of the world. So we say everyone's got to create a desert in their lives, in the midst of your workplace and families and friendships, to meet with God and then go in the world, desert, in, out. The desert of Saudi Arabia, the Arabian desert is the largest in the world. It's 900,000 square miles. That's a big desert. But that desert has a desert within the desert. It's called the empty quarter. And they say it's the harshest slice of real estate on the earth. I want to invite you to see Sabbath as the desert within the desert. It's a, an essential spiritual formation discipline for us. I, uh, disciplines. I, I want to encourage you. I, I don't know what your life is like, but I want to encourage for most of you in this room to take maybe Saturday night at 6 or Sunday night at 6, or maybe all day Sunday. Take a 24-hour period and begin to experiment with it. Romans 14 says, Paul says, every day is alike. It doesn't matter the day. The, day, the key is to have a rhythm. Many, many pastors take Mondays, okay? But it, it, it's a rebooting of the computer. It's, it's, it's an invitation here, friends, to the desert within the desert to get to God. And I like what Basil Hume says, the great archbishop. He says, no man can live in the marketplace who does not first, not also live in the desert. No man can live in the marketplace who also does not live in the desert. 
and let his, I'd add, and let his or her true self in Christ be formed. Sabbath is a retreat to the desert every week. Stop, rest, delight, contemplate God. And basically, friends, for all of us to get off the crack cocaine of our culture, which would enslave us. Let's all stand together. Let's sing this wonderful song which comes out of Patrick's prayer from the 6th century about Christ and us. Let these words wash over you and join in as you're able. You know, it's interesting, you know, we, we close here, we've got the Lord's table to your left, to your right, and I want to invite the prayer teams to come on forward uh, to your left. You know, when, when, when Lord invites us to a table to be with him, you know, a lot of times you feel like, I better, I better bring some, something like to pay him back for all my mess ups, you know? Like I, I owe him. The key to come to, to, to Jesus is you, is you come with nothing but yourself. That's, that's, the, that's the most, that's why, that's, that's, that's Christianity apart from all other world religions. It's God kisses you, period. Simply for being alive and he loves us. And it, it's, it's all the work of Christ and we stand before him free. So as we close here, I want to invite you to come and take communion, uh, eat and drink of Christ. Uh, and then secondly, I want to invite you to come for prayer. Now listen, uh, I know many of you in this room, you, you you're finding your worth and, and you know it as you're listening to me that you're finding your worth and your value in, your, in the wrong things. What people think and your performance and your work. And there's something deep about this worthlessness and healing. And I want to invite you forward for prayer for healing. Because it's not about getting forgiveness for that. It's about getting healed for that. Getting delivered for that. God extends himself with an outstretched hand. Not just simply to save you. But he comes out to deliver you and cut chains off you and to teach you to live like a free woman, like a free man. That's why we believe in the power of prayer here at New Life. Not simply words, but power of God to come. So as we close, and I'm going to say a blessing over us, I invite you to come for prayer here. And just you're opening yourself up for God to do a healing and a work deep in you that maybe gets to places you have no idea or unable to identify but you know there's something there that God needs to unravel that only he can do because you can't change yourself. And that you could actually know this kind of a love from God that's so free. So they're going to be here to pray as we close. And so I want to invite you, if you'd like, to open your hands up towards heaven. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may the Lord with his outstretched arm from heaven, may it reach down deep into your soul and touch the points of shame and worthlessness and heal you. And may he breathe on you now his love and the fact that you're worthy in him and that you're delightful and that you're enough and that you're safe and that you're extraordinary. And may you find yourself just resting in the arms of the love of God this day, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.